Good morning. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 118. You can follow along on the screen, but you probably need to practice with your Bibles anyway. As you've heard me say the last couple of weeks, these are the, this is the middle chapter, and verse 8 and 9 of Psalm 118 are the middle verses of the whole Bible. And I don't believe that's by accident, that God was calling our attention to this passage of Scripture so that we would remember how truly dependent we are upon Him. The Bible tells us there in that passage, It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. God's heart is for every one of us to truly trust Him with every aspect of our lives. That's part of loving Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. First week we talked about the things that we're most depend upon, dependent upon, the things that most of our praying centers around is God's heart of pardon. That is, we always asking God for forgiveness. We're trusting God. We're always asking God to provide for our needs, His, His hand of provision. We're always asking God to protect us, His, His hedge of protection. And so last week I said that there's one more thing that, that uh, we're dependent upon God for, and it's not something that we typically like to admit. And uh, because of our pride, we don't like to say we're dependent upon anybody for anything. We are taught in this culture to be independent, to be self-supportive, to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. You can do anything you put your mind to, but that's just not true, not according to Scripture, because the Bible teaches us that we are all, everything we have, the next breath you breathe, you breathe it because God willed it. The next step you take, you, you take it because God willed it. It was a gift from God. And so it's, it flies in the face of our independent spirit to say that we're dependent upon the help of God's power. The help. We all need help. And uh, God is our helper. He, remember, last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah the prophet said, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies will take away from Jerusalem and Judah everything they depend on. And then he listed that. The bread and the water, that is all of their provision. Their heroes and soldiers, that is all their protection. Their judges, all the justice and fairness in the land. Their prophets and fortune tellers and astrologers, all the special insight. Their elders, all the experienced. Their army officers and high officials, the security of the nation. Their advisors, that is their, the ones that they depended upon for wisdom. And even their skilled craftsmen, that is all the uh, special abilities that people had that helped build that culture and the infrastructure of that country. Now, what if God took all of that away from America? Those are things you and I depend upon every day, but we overlook them most every day. We take them for granted most every day. And so God says in Hosea 1.4, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. Now, we just celebrated July the 4th. We celebrated our independence. And again, we all know what that means, that we, we uh, have an independent nation. We're free to worship uh, as we choose to worship. We have all of these freedoms in this land. 
But I, I think that what has happened in this nation over the last couple of hundred years is that not only have we become independent from England, but we become independent from Almighty God. We don't think we need God anymore. We're removing Him from every aspect of our culture. And we're saying, God, we don't need Your Word. We don't need You in the schools. We don't need You in the government. We don't need You in our workplaces. We don't need You in our homes. We don't need You in our lives. We, we can exist. We can function. We're fine without you, God. And God's going to say to us, as he said to his own chosen people, I am going to end America's independence. What if God said that? What if God's doing that? And so, God sometimes has to bring us to an end of our independence. But not just as a nation, but what about you as an individual? Are you truly depending on God? What are you depending on? Hosea, again, God says, So now come back to your God. Act with love and justice and always depend on Him. So what can we do to come back to God as an individual? What can we do to come back to God? You see, if a nation is going to come back to God, it begins with the, the individual citizens. And it, it starts with the household of God. It starts with the people of God. What are you and I going to do to Renew our dependence upon the Lord. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you know this by heart, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, that is, every aspect of your life, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. So how, how does that start? Well, last week, we started with two things. First of all, we confess our pride and our independent spirit. And every one of us has a proud, independent spirit. You and I, none of us, want anybody telling us what to do. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And we don't want anyone, we don't want anyone to get in our way. That's a selfish, proud, independent spirit. And we need to confess that as sin to God. And then we need to ask the Lord to show us how this independent spirit is manifesting itself in our daily lives. What am I doing that I, that I shouldn't be doing? How am, I, how am I manifesting this pride and independent spirit in my life? And, and then we need to, again, ask God's forgiveness and seek His cleansing. But I want to share a few more ways with you this morning and next week about how we can... Again, come back to God and renew our dependence upon Him. So this morning, the first thing I want to share with you comes from John chapter 15. And that is, keep your relationship and your friendship with the Lord fresh. The Bible says in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, Jesus is giving us a word picture here of a vine a vineyard a vine a vine dresser the branches the fruit he says i am the true vine and my father's the vine dresser every branch that's us branches of the vine every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, 
He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus said. I am the vine, you are the branches. Sometimes we get that confused. I'm the vine, Jesus, you do, you're the branch, you do what I tell you to do. Jesus said, no, it's the other way around. I'm the vine, you're the branch. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? What can you do without him? You can do nothing. Do you really believe that? What is the world telling us today? I can do anything I want to. If I put my mind to it. Is that biblical? But how the people of God have swallowed that. I can have anything I want to have. I can be anything I want to be. Is that biblical? It's not biblical. So what we believe then flies in the face of our culture. Flies in the face even of how many of us live. You can't be anything you want to be. You can only be what God made you to be. You can't do anything you want to do. You can only do what God calls you to do and what you can accomplish in Him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without Him, I can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. So without Him, you, your life is just going to wither. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may remain that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. God's not telling you this to kill your joy. Some people think God's a cosmic killjoy. God just wants me to live like this because it's no fun. God says, no, this is the way I want you to live. I want you to abide in me. I want you to understand that following the way that I created you to follow, that's where true joy and contentment and happiness really are. And there are many people who are finding that, but so many others who are not discovering that. He said, I want your joy to be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Who laid down his life for you? Jesus Christ. The only person that died for you. And whose death meant something far more significant than even saving your physical life, but saving your spiritual life. Giving you the opportunity to live with him forever and ever. I call you, he says, in verse 18, I'm 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Is Jesus your friend? Do you treat him like a friend? A man that has friends must show himself what? friendly so what do you do with your friends 
You do what? You spend time with them. You hang out with them. You talk to them. You listen to them. You enjoy their company. Is Jesus your friend? Do you talk to him? Do you listen to him? Do you hang out with him? You say, well, he's not really there. He's not? Just because you can't see him and feel him and touch him doesn't mean he's not really there. In fact, he's more real than you are because he was here before you were. Is Jesus your friend? Are you developing that relationship? Are you keeping it fresh with the Lord? Are you spending time with him? You see, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, we don't always enjoy our friendship with the Lord. But listen, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've asked Him to forgive your sin and save you, you belong to Him. And He calls you His friends. But what kind of friend have I been to Jesus? A, not a very good one. He's been a better friend to me than I've been to Him. I've let Him down on many occasions. i failed Him. I've disappointed Him. I've disobeyed Him. I didn't return the love and the affection that He was giving me. I didn't make the sacrifices that I should have made, certainly not compared to the sacrifice he made for me. I haven't been the kind of friend to him that he's been to me. That's why Acts 3.19 is so important. He says, repent and change. Repent and be converted. Repent and do something different. If your life is not what it ought to be, not what you hope it's to be, the, the solution is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, I can be anything I want to be, I can do anything I want to do. That's not the solution. The solution is repent from your selfish, prideful, independent spirit and living apart from Jesus Christ and, and apart from enjoying His friendship and come back and start living differently. And then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. You will ex- then ag- again experience His love, which He talked about in John 15, His joy, which He talked about. You'll understand what it means to bear fruit and that that the the fruit in your life will be so fulfilling to you and to other people around you. It will be a difference. You see, if we want to enjoy the life God's given us, we've got to keep that relationship with Him fresh. That's how we keep our dependence upon Him is I want to stay in tune with him. I want to stay in touch with him. But see, a person that doesn't think they're dependent upon God, they don't talk to him. They don't rely upon him. Friends, God made us to have friends. God made us to have companions, but not apart from him. So keep your relationship and friendship with the Lord fresh. I want to ask you as a believer, as a church member, are you reading the scripture? And again, I say this, as I said last week, I'm not talking about if you're reading a verse of Scripture at the top of your devotional. Some people, I think, are reading one Scripture and paragraphs of somebody else's writing. Hey, God didn't. God's not going to change your life by man's words. You, you need to be soaking and bathing in the Word of God. Some of you have never read this book cover to cover, but you say it's the most important book in your life. But you don't know what it says. You've never read it cover to cover. I, t- I joked with you a couple of weeks ago, I said, some of you don't really know that there's no second hesitations in the Bible. But we hesitate to pick this book up. Because you know why? You don't think it's relevant to your life. You'll read a book on marriage. 
You'll read a book on self-improvement. You'll read a book about how to make more money. You'll read all these other books, but why don't believers read the Bible? You say, I do read the Bible, preacher. Have you read it through? Do you know what it says? Paul said, I determined to deliver to you the whole counsel of God. How did Paul know the whole counsel of God? Because he had read it. He had studied it. It's a shame that we have biblical, illiterate believers who've been that way and been saved for 20, 25, 30 years, and they've never read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I don't mean in order, but they've never read the whole Bible. Really? That's a sad commentary, and I know that to be true. You ought to make it a practice every year, or at least every couple of years, to read this book cover to cover. You know what? Kings, I wish this were still popular. If you were anointed a king of Israel, you were given the book of the law. And the kings were required to read it cover to cover and to study it daily in order to lead the people of God. You say, well, I'm not a king. No, you're not. But you, many of you are leaders in your home. Many of you are leaders of, of other people at your work. Many of you are leaders of your children or going to be. And God is, God's got everything we need in this Bible. And, and why, don't, why do we run from it? It's, not, it's almost like we run from it, but why do we ignore it and neglect it? God's heart is wrapped up in His Word. And if I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, and if I'm going to rekindle my relationship and keep it fresh with Him, I cannot ignore the Scriptures. Oh, I can read devotional books so I'm blue in the face, but it doesn't do for me what the Word of God does for me. I'm not knocking devotional books because I have them and I read them, but that's not my main source. I'm in this book first and most. And I read those, and I take it with a grain of salt. Because I realize that whoever wrote that wrote it from the same perspective I would write from, a fallen one. Did you hear me? Whoever wrote that devotional book wrote from a fallen perspective. But this book is divinely inspired from the almighty, most perfect, most holy, only one true God. It's the only book that you can take to the bank and it's always going to be true. It's not filled with opinions. It's filled with God's truth. And it's the only book that can change your life. Keep your relationship and your friendship with the Lord fresh. Christians, I'm calling you back. Church members, I'm calling you back. Be a people of the book. You say, we believe all the right things, but do you know what those things are? Do you know why you believe those things? Yeah, because Brother Lee said we're supposed to. Paul preached, and he commended this church in Berea, B-E-R-E-A. And he commended them because he said, They heard me speak, but they searched the Scriptures daily to find out if what I was saying was true. I'm not asking you to swallow what I give you every Sunday as truth. I'm asking you to go to the Word of God. And you find out if what you're hearing from your Sunday school teacher, from your pastor, from that devotional book, from whoever else you may listen to, you go to the book of books and let God be your guide. Become a person 
of the Holy Scriptures. That's one of the greatest ways to keep that friendship and relationship with God fresh. He will speak to you. If you have a friend who does all the talking, some of you may like that because you don't have to come up with anything. But sometimes maybe you have a friend that does all the talking and you can't get a word in edgewise. And maybe that's how God feels. God says they're always coming to me with their problems. They're always coming to me with their needs. They're always coming to me for their protection and safety and security. But, but I've shown them all these things in, in my word, but they, they don't spend time listening to me. Keep your relationship and your friendship with the Lord fresh. You see, because it's out of that connection that this dependence flows. One more thing I'm going to cover today is seek God's counsel and guidance in your decisions. How do you make decisions? To buy a car, to buy a house, to move, to go to a new job. Um, how do you make decisions? I mean, I don't know. I just wonder, though, if the people of God are truly seeking God, or is it they're following the job that pays the most? Or the job that's the next promotion up? Or they make a decision based upon, well, this is a better deal, and it just makes sense. You know, we're, we're ruled by our pocketbooks, by our bank accounts, or we're ruled by, remember we looked at last week that... Uh, not, don't let a man, Jeremiah said, glory in his wisdom or his might or his, and I forgot what the other thing was, I think he said, um, or his riches. But that's how a lot of our decisions are made. We're, they're made in our own wisdom and understanding. They're made in our own strength and they're made because of money. And God says, I'm going to remove your, the things you depend upon. How should we make decisions? We should seek God's counsel and God's guidance in our decisions. Because, you know, sometimes God may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense to you or to anybody else around you. If you've never had that, it's a wonderful experience. You should try it sometime. It's hard to go against people when you think, this is what God says for us to do, and nobody's going with you. Nobody agrees with you. But you know you've heard this is what God wants you to do. And few people can do that. Few people have the relationship. You see, it, it comes from that relationship, that keeping it fresh. Because when you keep that relationship fresh, then you're hearing from God. You're knowing daily direction as He leads you. And when He speaks to you, man, all hell can come against you. But you know that God's on your side. You can just keep moving forward and not worry about it. That's why you need to keep that relationship fresh because you young people, you old people, you middle-aged people, you people, all of us people, we're going to be challenged daily to compromise. David in 2 Samuel. Hey, Israel was at war with the Philistines. And it just made sense. If there was a group of Philistines, the normal person would say, kill them, go get them. I mean, David's the king. There's the group of Philistines. They're at war. What do you think common sense would tell you to do? Attack, right? 
But what did David do? 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says, David prayed and said, Lord, should I attack them? And everybody else was going, duh, what do you think? But David paused and said, Lord, should I attack them? Should I go after them? And God told him, go up, attack them. I will doubtless deliver them into your hand. So David went and defeated them. And then, the next day, the next time, they came up again against Israel. And uh, again, you would think common sense would say, well, okay, the Lord told me, when I asked him the last time, the Lord said, attack them. So here they are again. Since he told me that the last time, I guess that's probably what he wants me to do this time. So we're going to attack them. You see, that's what we do. We rely on yesterday's wisdom for today's decisions. That don't work. Daily dependence on God. What he told you yesterday applied for when? Yesterday. Today is a brand new day. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Today, they faced the enemy again today. And again, David said, Lord, shall I attack them? And God said, yes, but this is the way I want you to do it this time. And he told him a different way to do it. You see, that's how we do things. We do things according to our common sense and, and, and yesterday's wisdom and past experience. God says, I'm going to remove all that. I want you to stop depending upon your wisdom and your past experience. I want you to depend upon me today for today. It's interesting that God said, give us this day our... Isn't that interesting? What if God reduced you to depending upon your daily bread? In, second, in First Chronicles chapter 15 and uh, verse 13, you remember the story. David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and they put it on an ox cart. Now, if you've read your Bible, is that the right way or the wrong way to bring, carry the Ark? I would ask for a show of hands. How many of you absolutely know that's the wrong way, but I won't embarrass you? Or the right way. That's the wrong way to carry the ark. If you've read your Bible, what is the right way to carry the ark? The priests carry it on poles. There were rings at each of the four corners of the ark, and they slid poles through there, and only the priests or the Levites could carry the ark of the covenant on their shoulders on the poles. That was the only way. Nobody could touch the ark of the covenant. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't look in it. It was holy. It was sacred. But David had it put on an ox cart. Now, why would David, the king, put it on an ox cart? Because David didn't read the book. If he would have read the book like kings were supposed to read the book, he would have known not to put it on an ox cart. Those four little rings that you think are there for decoration, they have a purpose. Those poles that are leaning in the corner over there, they're not to support... Anything but the weight of the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priest. He would have known that. But he did it as what made sense. Common sense told him, put it on a cart. Pull it by ark, by oxen. So that's what they're doing. They're going along, and then the oxen stumbled. The cart rocked. The one man named Uzzah thought the Ark was in danger of falling. He reaches up to steady it, touches the Ark, and what happened? He gone. 
See, God had already told him, don't touch the ark. But that caused David to be very afraid. So he stopped and said, time out, guys. We have messed up. Just leave the ark right here. Let it go to Ephron, I think his name was, house. And then God began to bless that man's house. But David was afraid. So David tried again. And that's what 1 Chronicles 15 tells us. And look at verse 13. They tried again. And it's interesting how we like to shift the blame. David said, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because, then finally he gets it right, we did not consult him about the proper order. Let me read that again. Because we did not consult him about the proper order. Do you think God has something to say to you about how to love your wife, how to love your husband? Do you think God has something to say to you about how to buy a home? Do you think God has something to say to you about how to buy a vehicle? Do you think God has something to say to you about how to move jobs? Do you think God has something to say to you about every aspect of your life? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In how many of your ways? All your ways acknowledge Him. Do you think God has something to say about all of your ways? Yes or no? Do we consult Him about all of our ways, or do we follow our wisdom, our inclinations, our experience? Are we really depending upon God? The answer is no, we're not really depending on God. We say we do, but we really don't. Verse 26 of that chapter says, And so it was when God, it says, oh, by the way, let me keep reading. So the priests and the Levites, verse 16, uh, 14, sanctified themselves to bring the ark of the Lord back to Israel. And uh, they appointed the, the Levites and the priests to carry it. They put it on their shoulders like they were supposed to. And then in verse 26, And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. You know what you get when you do things according to God's honor, uh, God's word? You get God's what? Help. Woo! You get God's help. I don't need God's help. I can do it. I can do it all on my own. All right? Go for it. See how that's working out for you. Psalm chapter 106, verse 13. They soon forgot God's works. They did not wait for his counsel. That's Christians for the most part today. We just rush headlong into life. How do I know? Because... I can see the results in people's lives. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. God says, Because I have called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one regarded. You disdained all my counsel. You would have none of my rebuke. I will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have nothing to do with my counsel. They despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. And the turning of away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, God says, will dwell safely. You know what you've got to do to listen to the Lord? It's a four-letter word. Stop. 
and wait. Stop and wait. We live in an instant society. I have to have it now. I don't have time for God to speak to me. I don't have time to pray about it. I don't have time. If you don't have time to pray about it, the answer is no. Do you know that? If you don't have time to pray about it, the answer is no. I've made decisions like that before. In my home, in my family. And I wish I could take some back. Because I didn't take the time to seek God's counsel. I did what I wanted to do. Or I rushed. And I threw up a flare prayer saying I prayed about it. Just so I could soothe my convicted conscience. Knowing that I had not really sought God. And I know I'm not alone in this room with that kind of decision-making. It's afflicted us all, that independent spirit. We don't need God, and we tell Him that every day by the way we live. And it's an affront to Him. It's an offense to Him. From His own people, we tell Him, we don't need you. We got this. That's why we need to repent. That's why we need to be converted. We need to change our ways and come back to God so that those times of refreshing, the times of love and joy and fellowship and and direction and clarity will return. Father, I know I'm not the only one in this